behind mm. every screen is a name. Behind that name is a person. And that person is greatly loved by God. So we're not just looking at screens or numbers, but these are actual people. Welcome to the Lazan Movement Podcast, where we have a passion to accelerate global mission together. I am your host, Jason Watson, and over the next few weeks, we will be taking a look at significant shifts that impact global mission. In each episode, I will be talking to Dr. Matthew Nierman, the director of the Lausanne Movement's forthcoming State of the Great Commission report, who will provide a brief overview of the shift at hand and will draw from research that has been done and note key data points that we should be looking at. After that, we'll then hear from an expert on the topic. Between the third and fourth Global Congress, digital technology has fundamentally changed the world. For most of the world, with notable exceptions, internet, screens, social media, virtual work, shape large portions of our lives, leading to questions like, what is digital life? And what does ministry look like in a digital age? Today, the question that we're gonna be focusing on is what is ministry in a digital age? And we're gonna be unpacking that with Dr. Matthew Nierman and Simon Siao. Let's begin with some framing insights from Dr. Matthew Nierman. Dr. Nierman, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. Good to see you. So we had you on before to speak about the shifts in technology, and we're looking specifically at what the shifts meant in terms of this new digital life that we now find ourselves immersed in. But today we're looking at it from a bit of a different perspective. We're asking the question, what is ministry in the digital age? And so I would like to kick us off and ask you, in what ways has technology transformed your own spiritual journey? Opening up maybe perhaps new avenues for personal faith growth. And I guess on the flip side to that, how has it diverted your attention from spiritual development? Jason, we're sitting here in South Africa and Los Angeles, California, halfway around the world, talking, sharing, and growing together in Christ. This is really a perfect example in my mind of the amazing avenue that technology has provided me and my faith. I love connecting with my global brothers and sisters around the world, learning about how God is moving in their context and growing their faith in their community. And this is really beautiful. And personally, this has been a big aid in my personal faith growth. But Jason, you put it very well when you asked, how has it diverted my attention from spiritual development? Anyone regularly engaged in the digital world knows how it can be so easily attention diversion. Daily technology takes my attention, it splits my focus, it steals any quiet moment of reflection and makes work ever present all hours of the day. So really I find it hard at times to be quiet, see God and hear God in this digital age. So it's connected with my brothers and sisters, but it has taken all the silence out of my life. And so it's aided and hindered my relationship with Christ all at once. Yeah, I can imagine that it has done that. It's done that definitely in my context as well. I think one of the unique aspects of the digital age is the way that we engage with the Bible. And in our own context, in our own church, 10 years ago, many people would walk into church with their physical Bibles in their hands. And nowadays, people mostly come with their cell phones. And when you say open up your Bibles, they take out their phones and they go onto a Bible app on their cell phones. And in the State of the Great Commission report, you mentioned and you gave a ton of data that that gave insights into Bible engagement in the digital realm. And I would love for you to unpack that for us. What unique opportunities have opened up for us as a global church when it comes to digital Bible engagement? At the onset of the digital age, it's really radically reshaped how individuals interact with various forms of information, including the Bible, being no exception. We pull out our cell phones instead of carrying our paper Bibles. So this digital age has really significantly actually contributed to Bible translation and scripture engagement. And we can praise the Lord for that. Digital technology has expedited translation right, through translation software, online collaboration tools, natural language processing, AI, crowdsourcing translation projects. It's really sped things up. Right? It's also provided a more efficient distribution of Bible translations to a lot of people, both majority languages and unreached language groups. We can just simply distribute the Bible quicker and, and more personalized. So with more languages available and, and digital technology distributing it in a personalized way. We're actually seeing a very positive effect on scripture engagement overall. Now, with that said, there are some challenges with digital Bible engagement. Digital Bible tools have allowed for the greater spread of the Bible, but it's also allowed for the greater spread of misinformation at the same time. Whether it be anti-biblical messages or misinterpretations of scripture, these glorious spreading the Bible also has the spread of misinterpretations as well. And perhaps just for sake of time to name one more, we're beginning to use AI for Bible translations. 
And as I said, this has really sped up the translation process and aided in translating minority languages for sure. But the use of AI for Bible translation actually poses some unique ethical considerations, including biases and other potential implications of using AI-generated Bible translations. But just like any technology, there are these great advantages, but also some challenges that come with it that we have to navigate carefully. And digital Bible engagement is no different. As the world becomes more digitized, data offers us a glimpse into global interests and priorities. And part of the section in the State of the Great Commission report explored analyzing the data about global interests and values. Search engine reports on what people across the world are searching. And so can you shed some light on the global search trends relative to the position of Christianity and Jesus on the spectrum of global interests? So as people are typing in what they're interested in, what they're searching, how does Jesus or Christianity compare to other religions or other interests or value systems? Right. So as a researcher, the wonderful thing about this digital age is that everything is tracked. <laughs> we have so much data to look through and measure, including, as we've mentioned here, this digital interest or digital attention. Sometimes. So this is, these are fascinating to kind of get a pulse on where are we putting our attention? And these measurements can be really telling about where we're putting our interests within the digital sphere. So let's talk about religions, since that was one of the, the questions here. So in general, when you compare the number of times the world searches for topics of Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, really you see two main groups appear out of this. At the lower end of interest, you have Hinduism and Buddhism. And at the much higher level is actually Christianity and Islam. Now this actually mirrors global religious population percentages. So this really isn't a huge surprise here. But what's interesting to note is this trend from 2004 to now. Starting in 2004, Islam and Christianity shared very similar digital interest levels, but Christianity was a little bit ahead. But in this time span, the level of digital interest in Christianity has, has had a noticeable steady decline pretty consistently. Opposite to this, actually, Islam has had a steady increase over this time, so that now there's actually a big gap between the two with a much higher level of digital interest in Islam over Christianity. And is there any indication of why people are searching for Islam more than Christianity? Yeah, this is, this is the limitation of perhaps this data, right? Digital interest doesn't mean adherence or following of the faith. It just means it's on the awareness of individuals. But maybe if I can channel some Peter Berger here, right? The more something is around us, right? These are called plausibility heuristic. The more something we see things around us, the more believable it is. Uh, so if I'm living in the Midwest United States and I drive around and see 50 churches in one small town, Christianity seems more plausible than, let's say, Buddhism, where there's no Buddhist temples at all. So digital interest doesn't mean adherence here, but it's interesting to know that digital interest is like seeing 50 churches in one small town. If all you see or you see more and more of Islam and less of Christianity, it becomes more and less plausible that these things are actually true. So it's not directly correlated or causing these things, interest causing Islam growth or anything, but there's an interesting correlation that we have to be aware of. Talking about digital interest, in the report you mentioned, and I'm going to read what you wrote in the State of the Great Commission report, that general estimates indicate 5 to 30% of all internet traffic stems from pornography. You then go on to state that the terms Islam, Jesus, Christianity form a tiny blip at the bottom of a graph compared to the terms like sex and porn. You also then stress that recognizing the pervasiveness of digital access to sexual materials is essential for the church and its mission. Could you elaborate on that for us just a little bit? Yeah, Adam. This is perhaps the proverbial elephant in the room when we talk about digital interest. We often speak about how the church should engage in the digital sphere. And we often then lean on suggestions like, let's stream our church services or put videos up of our pastors. And that's not bad. We need to have a strong digital witness indeed. But the church also has to recognize there's this immense portion of the digital age that is really sexual in content. Digital interest and sexual content is orders and orders of magnitude higher than digital interest in Christianity or even Islam. So to get engaged this digital age, the church has to recognize and seek to engage these sides of the internet. Like I said in the report, attending to the digital age isn't actually the gospel, but we can begin to understand that sexual wholeness does provide, or sexual exploration or lack of wholeness is a barrier to the gospel. 
So in other words, we could say sexual wholeness is not the gospel, but confidence in the biblical Christian attitudes towards sexual wholeness strengthens confidence in the gospel, is how we put it in the report. We need to tend to this huge barrier of the gospel while providing a positive witness to who Christ is. So in light of all the data that you've unpacked in the State of the Great Commission reports, how do you think we should alter our approach to ministry in the digital age? Yeah, I believe there's two things here, twofold. First, the church has to provide a positive gospel witness, like we talked about previous. However, we have to seek to do this in a contextualized way. A story I often tell here is just as if we are going to go to an international location and seek to spread the gospel, we have to contextualize our efforts when we do that. So we have to seek to alter our language, customs, communication, so the gospel would be understood in that international location. We also have to recognize that there are not country borders in the digital age, but there are these digital borders we have to seek to cross. In order to cross a digital border, we have to learn how to contextualize our language, customs, and communication, things that the church has done very well. But perhaps the part we haven't done very well is we have to understand that there's this invisible digital identity that are seen by recommendation algorithms and other parts of, of how the internet works. So in order to reach new populations, we can't really proceed with our old church pastor or church member digital identity except that it begins to automatically slot us into different parts of the internet or different recommendations. And so in order to have the gospel message heard and seen by people in a different tunnel, perhaps, to use that metaphor, we have to learn how to have a digital identity that would let us be in that tunnel so we can share God's word there. This is very complex, and it's going to take some intentional work. But second here, I think, as a case study about sexual content we just talked about, there are a lot of sinful corners on the internet. And the church needs to identify and bring light to those corners. So again, it's just providing a positive witness in an effective way, and then also bringing light to the darkness. That's so good, Dr. Nieman. I think one of the other areas that we need to talk about when talking about ministry in the digital age has to do with social media. And so I'd like us to revisit some of the key stats from the report. In the report, you mentioned that 60% of the world is online. Of that, 58.4% of the world uses social media on a regular basis, and the average time spent on social media globally is 2 hours, 20 minutes. And as you mentioned in our previous episode, you spoke about how that varies into different regions and uh, different areas of the world. But I'd like us to dive into that just a little bit. Could you share some of the stats associated with social media platforms? and the motivations behind people's engagement on these platforms, but through a particular lens of ministry engagement, what potential opportunities and challenges does this present for us as evangelical churches seeking to engage people in the digital space? So as you, as you stated, we cannot ignore this fact that the majority of the world uses social media for hours a day. That is just our digital age. But beyond those facts, it's interesting to know why they use this. And we covered this in the previous podcast a little bit, but as a reminder here, uh, the global reasons why people use social media first is to keep in touch with family and friends, community-related ideas. And the second, unfortunately, is to fill spare time. But as we saw, the third is to be able to, third, fourth, and fifth, is to look for news stories, find content, and see what's being talked about. So if we understand these uses of social media, we can begin to plan our engagement and ministry. Fortunately, the first one is to be in touch with family, friends, and community. And one of the main calls of the church is to create community. Now, this looks different in a digital age, digital community, but it is a great opportunity to be able to bring Christian digital community or be able to leaven other communities uh, on social media. Now, again, it looks different than an embodied community, but that doesn't mean we have to throw it away. We just need to look how it actually works. And then number two through five are interesting, right? We just use social media because we're bored and we're sitting and waiting for public transport, let's say. But then we're also looking for content. So this is an interesting portion where we can provide content, wholesome content for folks who are just scrolling and spending time. Perhaps a person may not walk into a church for two hours a day, but if they're bored scrolling through social media, it's a good opportunity for the church to provide Christian content to engage them uh, with who God is and what scripture is. So in, in these particular aspects, we can begin to uh, build community and reach them with content. Now, again, to go back to our previous conversation, this has to be done, understand that there are digital borders and we have to cross those in a contextualized way. 
we can't simply just stream our church services and say we're done because that's only being watched by the church choir. You know, edifying for our church choir, if you will, proverbially, but not quite reaching unreached individuals. I think it's fascinating that there are hundreds of millions of people spending more time on their phones in, in digital spaces than they do considering, contemplating God, reflecting on him, spending time in church, spending time in the word. And so I would love to ask you as we close this part of the podcast episode, what thought-provoking questions should the evangelical church be asking itself in this time to remain relevant and impactful? It really feels like we've been in this digital age for a while now. But as I said before, we zoom out and consider the history of innovation. We're just really getting started in this digital. We're still trying to figure this out. And it's really going to require us to ask hard questions. So questions like, how do we contextualize our digital identities so we can cross digital borders and not just produce content for the church? Questions like, what parts of technology are helpful and what parts are causing harm? Or perhaps in other words, what parts aid the church's missions and what parts erode the church's core callings? Other questions like, how do we integrate embodied ministry with virtual ministry so they work hand in hand? We can't just move completely virtual or move completely embodied in our world. How do we get these things to work together? And what is a gospel witness in all parts of the digital sphere? This can go on and on, these questions, but these are a few key ones, I think. Thank you, Dr. Nieman, for your input here. As we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or reflections that connect technology and the ministry that we seek to do as the evangelical church? Yeah, I want to recognize that the majority of the world, as we've talked about today, the majority of the world lives in the digital world for large portions of the day. And Christ should really be ever-present in our world, in all parts of our world. So I encourage the church to be present in both their location and in the digital sphere. Or as new or as difficult as this may be, we have to do this. Or maybe if I put it more succinctly and perhaps boldly, the Great Commission requires digital engagement. That's so good. Thank you, Dr. Nieman, for your time, for sharing your insights and your research with us. I'm trusting that as we reflect on what we've spoken about today, that we as the church and as church leaders will go about thinking about the way that we do ministry very differently. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. To explore this shift in more detail, we're now joined by Simon Siao, who will help us unpack the question of what is ministry in a digital age? Simon is a co-founder of Indigitus, an international digital ministry, and serves as a senior digital strategist for Crew in Orlando. Let's dive into our interview with Simon Siao. Welcome to the podcast. Hey there. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jason. And it's truly a joy to have you with us today. We are going to be unpacking some of the technological shifts mentioned in the State of the Great Commission report. And as you know, the reality in the world, it's very different today as it was a decade ago. And even as mm -hmm. we look five, 10 years ahead of us, we realize that the world is going to look very different to what it is today even. And so it becomes really important for us as a global church to wrestle with the question that we're exploring today, which in light of the shifts of technology, what is ministry in the digital age? And what I'm excited about in this conversation is Simon, you have been asking this question long before we have thought about asking this question and you spent a large part of your energy and your ministry trying to do digital ministry. And so I would love for us to begin just by getting into your backstory and for us to start at the beginning. Could you begin by just sharing with us how you came to form a passion for technology and the moment where you realized that technology was more than just coding and more than just gadgets or social media, but could be a tool to fulfill the Great Commission? When you said the word passion for technology, I kind of cringe slightly because it is true. I am passionate about all things digital, mm. but to truth be told, I am really passionate about the mission. And wow. I think the Lord kind of formed that in me quite early on. Time will not permit me to tell the whole story, but I did not think that I would be serving full-time uh, as a missionary. For sure, I did not think that I would be doing anything close to what we call digital missions now. Uh, I was just kind of obeying the Lord, saying my little yeses to Him. And then somehow the Lord led me to join a crew as an organization. But then it was in that formative years. And that phrase that really captured my heart was bringing the unchanging gospel to a changing world. 
Wow. And as you said, the world keeps changing, right? And the report shows us very clearly, not just in the sphere of technology, it is dramatically changing. But the attitudes and the way we process things and think about life and ministry and faith and all that is shifting. But the gospel and the message of hope and love does not change. And we got to keep bringing it in fresh and meaningful ways to this generation that desperately needs it. Mm -hmm. So if you would ask me what is the driving force and how did it come about, it started with that phrase. And I still often quote it whenever I talk to people, whenever I share bringing the unchanging gospel to a changing world. Uh, and then obviously, this whole thing about indigenous came about, I almost want to say accidentally. But of course, where God is concerned, there are no accidents. And I somehow was found to be with a group of people that co-founded Indigitus as a global network. And that's been 10 years ago. And maybe we'll get to unpack some a little bit more about how that network has played a part in uh, the Great Commission and helping the body of Christ understand uh, the issues at hand and to press in into that. So yeah, that's a very quick, brief story. <laughs> no, I love that. Let's press in there. I would love for you to unpack just how Indigitus has been involved in the Great Commission. I would also like to hear, um, before we move on, you mentioned that you never imagined that you would be in full-time ministry and that the story was a bit too long. But I would love, if you could, if you were willing, <laughs> to share a bit of that story because there will be people listening to this podcast to a workplace people. And I think we often feel like there's this divide between ministry and workplace. And, and so please, could you unpack that for me? Yeah, I actually stepped into polytechnic here in Singapore, uh, thinking I was going to study to become an engineer. And at that time in the late 80s, I know it's like a long time away for some folks. But when I first entered polytechnic, trying to study for a diploma in electronic engineering, I seriously thought I was going to become an engineer. Uh, of course, later on, I discovered, I don't know if I, that's really the life I want. But right in the very first year, God got a hold of my heart and really asked me to give up my dreams to Him. And I still remember at the back of my physical Bible at a leadership camp, which I initially didn't really want to attend, but I showed up, a crew leadership camp, and the final night, the, lead, the, the speaker was challenging. And the first challenge he gave was like, would you like to give your life to God to serve him in a great commission? It's like, yeah, every Christian should do that. I suppose, me, you know. <laughs> but then he went on, the challenge became harder. Would you like to give your life to God in full-time service? I'm like, that must be this brother here or, or this <laughs> sister here. It's definitely not me. I was going to become an engineer. But lo and behold, the Lord got a hold of my heart that night and said, I'm speaking to you, son. Mm. And so at the back of my Bible, I wrote, my life is yours, Lord. Do with it as you wish. Uh, little did I know, and, and what significant thing I did besides writing those words, I signed my name. But little did I know that that was a symbolic thing because God was saying, actually, I didn't want you to plan your life and then come to me and just endorse it, mm. get my signature on it. It should be the other way around. I should leave it completely blank and just sign, almost like a blank check. And then over the next few years, God just filled it in and it would lead to me meeting my future wife who was already on staff with crew. We would go to the US and study. She would leave staff and I got all confused and all the you know, Yeah, it's, are we meant for each other? But long story short, the Lord brought our lives and our ministry together and now we're serving Him together. What I think is so amazing about your ministry with Indigitus is that it began a decade ago. For a large part of church leaders and nonprofit organizations, digital ministry rarely came to our attention through COVID and through the whole 2020 experience of suddenly not being able to gather together and having to get online or not being able to go and do the mission that we were meant to be doing. I would love for you to share with us the backstory to Indigitus. How did you come to, to think about digital ministry so long ago, I mean, there was still digital technology 10 years ago, but what sparked that vision and how did it begin? Yeah, I remember a story that preceded the starting of Indigitus that actually first caught my heart and made me sit up and listen. 
I think it was 2007, and there was the Virginia Tech shooting incident in North America, in the US. And at that time, we already had some kind of basic web 1.0 websites talking about Jesus, answering some questions people have, spiritual questions. But when that incident happened, uh, and we were just right at a conference uh, talking about internet ministry and opportunities. When that story broke and when people were distraught and confused and lost, we saw in our data a spike in people coming to our websites, people asking questions. Where is God in this evil, mm -hmm. in this suffering, in this pain? Who is Jesus? Can he be believed? And suddenly it dawned on me, oh my gosh, people are on this space. Mm -hmm. They are literally searching for God and they are mm -hmm. looking for answers. And I, I wasn't a true believer at that time, but that set me on a trajectory to really explore what is this digital ministry and what should we do about it? Then fast forward a couple of years, I was invited to be in the US to do a leadership internship. And in that space at crew headquarters, a number of us got together and decided and said, we've been learning from each other within the organization of like how we're doing what we call digital outreach at that time. But we are observing others also wanting to be on this journey, not only in the ministry space or in the church, but also in the marketplace. And say, what would it take for us to gather people from around the world to learn, to spur each other on and to collaborate? And so I was actually tasked to organize a conference, uh, two to three global events that uh, would eventually become Indigitus that we know today. And what is it that Indigitus does today? For those who are listening who, who have never heard of Indigitus before. A lot of things, but I think in a nutshell, we are passionate to help bring Jesus or to take the gospel to new people, places or spaces. Right? And we want to do that by first helping people or discover their place in God's mission. Right? And many of them, we're all connected on one of these little devices we hold in our hands. We have social networks. And some of us not only hold this in your hand, but you, you create content for the stuff that we consume. You know the technology behind it. So we want to help you discover your place in God's mission in a digital world and then invite you to take a step to reach your world uh, and then participate in what we call collaborative action or missional collaboration, and then champion this vision of digital missions. It's quite a journey you've been on, and I'm sure that there's a lot of different iterations and versions of what Indigenous looked like and what you guys did as ministry. But could you share just one or two standout projects that have been particularly fulfilling for you as you've gone through this journey of digital ministry? I think one of the things that has struck us when we launched Indigitus was how quickly people began to catch the vision and run with it. You know, because Habakkuk 2.2 and 14 was kind of the foundational verses for us where, you know, the messenger is called to take and run. Right, And then for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of God uh, as the waters cover the sea. Right, So this idea of taking something and run, is we saw it right in the context because it's also in our name. It's indigenous plus digital and makes indigitous. Right? So when we begin to see indigenous expressions, let's say Nigeria, uh, out of nowhere, a couple of years into indigenous, we hear oh, what is this pastor's boot camp thing that we're hearing coming out from Lagos, Nigeria? It's like, that's not an indigenous program. That's not something that came up. I didn't think of that idea. Later on, as we dig in further, we realize, oh my gosh, it was indigenous folks that attended an indigenous event in Addis Ababa. They went back to Nigeria and said, hey, what is the problem we need to solve in our city? Well, it's because pastors don't quite understand where social media fits in the ministry. So we need to give them a boot camp. So they literally put together an indigenous pastor's boot camp. And it wasn't even something that we thought of somewhere in Orlando or somewhere in Singapore, but it worked in Lagos, Nigeria, and it was needed, absolutely needed. All right. So then came the project. So one of the things that I'm really proud of and praise God how it's come about is 
in 2016 when we first launched our first global missional hackathon. At that time, to be honest, even using the word hackathon is like a bit problematic. In the church, you're hacking? How can that be? Christians don't do such a thing, you know? Then we have to explain, no, 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 we're not stealing anything. We're not breaking into anybody's computers, but we're using hacking for good. In fact, it's for missional good. So when we did that, people started putting up their hands and say, hey, I want this in my city. It started with about 15 cities in a number of countries. And now, seven years later, we have had about more than 125 uh, cities around the world in 66 countries that have hosted what you call a hackathon. So wait, I know some of you listeners are saying, I still don't get it. What's going on in this hackathon, right? And Jason, you're probably going to ask that, right? So like a hackathon essentially is people coming together to solve missional challenges, right? So at a, over a weekend, you have partners, you have churches or ministries that have legit tangible problem to be solved. Let's say, how, could, how can we accelerate Bible translation? How can we use technology to disrupt trafficking? So that's very tangible problems that the church cares about, right? And technology or digital ideas or solutions could be a pathway to a new way of thinking. So they bring it there. It's been already shaped. And then people gather around in groups and say, I resonate with this. Oh, I think I have an idea for this. Oh, I think I have a skill or an expertise that can contribute to this. And then they form teams, they scope out the work, and they actually come up with working prototypes by the end of the hackathon to present, right? And the ministries get blessed. Oh my gosh, that's a great angle that you took there. Can we develop this further? And can we actually flash this out into something really meaningful? That's so great. And I can just imagine that there are ministry leaders that are listening to this thinking, I could do with some new solutions to the problems we're facing. How could they learn more about hackathons and partnering with Indigitus to put something like that together? I'm sure you'll share some links in the show notes, but you can check out indigitus.org and just look for the part about collaborative action or about hack. And you will find out some of the things. At first, I think you can read some of the previous reports. You get a snapshot of what else has happened. What have other people tried mm. and discovered or learned through the process? And then you can find out, I think, next year, together with Lausanne, with L4 in Seoul 2024, we're hoping that this can be an opportunity where we inspire the church to say, what does missional collaboration look like? And we step into that, you know, by faith. That's so good, Simon. Thank you for sharing that. And I'll definitely link to that in the show notes for our listeners. I'd like for us to shift gears a bit because I'm really excited to chat to you about some of the shifts in that have been mentioned in the State of the Great Commission report. They um, had a whole section on shifts in technology. And I'd be very interested to hear from you. What are some key shifts that you think we should all be paying attention to from the State of the Great Commission report? Well, first of all, I, I really want to applaud you guys and Lausanne for serving the larger body of Christ in putting together this uh, State of the Great Commission and then also this piece on uh, technology and the digital space. The question you asked is a great question. I think different ones from different spaces may tackle it differently. The way I approach this, because I'm from a ministry background, I'm not a technologist, no, it's the first thing. I would say that it now has opened up a greater awareness for us to know that people are in online spaces. So if you boil it down, Missions is really about going where people are. So if you look at this report, I think sometimes we get discouraged. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. It's like, it's going too fast. I can't catch up. That's true. I feel that too. Uh, or it's like, oh, it's overwhelming. It's information overload. And all those things are true. So uh, when I looked at the report, I, feel, I felt a little bit like that too. I was like, wow, this is all good information. I don't quite know how to do with it. Obviously, we pray and we ask the Lord to show us the thing is that it is true. The shift is going to just keep accelerating. The thing I give thanks for is that people are reachable. So they are in the spaces, in the social media, and the increase in it means that there are more opportunities for us to find people, right? Remember I said missions is about going where mm. people are. 
and they are in these spaces, that prompts me to ask, what do I need to do to be available and present in those spaces? So what do we need to pay attention to? To look out for the opportunities and for different ones of you, it may be different things, right? And that's where might God be calling you to press in into some arenas? I know some of us are very quickly saying, okay, we also have to be thoughtful about the dangers, the cautions, and we may talk a little bit about that later. And that that is practical. But where missions is concerned, it's always going to be risky, mm. right? Someone once said to me very recently, where is darkest, where is most difficult? Actually, that's where light needs to go, wow, right? Cool. And that gripped my heart because I'm in ministry, but sometimes I forget, you know, it becomes automatic after a while then that quote is like oh my gosh where there's darkness there absolutely is a need for us to bring light in to shine light so you've taken a look at some of the shifts what challenges are we likely to face in ministry at at both a global and local level i think when i've spoken to church leaders and even ministry workers we sometimes feel like this is Like we just can never catch up with this. And there's some truth to it, you know, as a ministry worker or as a church leader, maybe it's not our responsibility to learn every single thing. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to be preachers of the word. We're supposed to be shepherds. We need to have some understanding, but that's where the beauty of the body of Christ comes together. And partly that's where indigenous comes in because it is inviting the larger body of Christ with all its gifts and talents right under your nose, in right in your pews, could be a software engineer, could be a social media guru, could be a digital marketing person. And they will have perspectives and they will bring some insights that you will need to know how to position yourself well to serve the people or to bring light into these dark spaces. And we need to learn to listen to each other. Sometimes that's where it's hard. So the challenge is where the church doesn't quite want to move or doesn't quite want to change. We all know the pandemic sort of like twisted our arm way too far at the back to say, oh, do I really have to put my service online? Oh, I didn't want to do that. But now we discovered we have to think very differently in the way we approach ministry. Yeah, and uh, I love your phrase in the sense like we, when we look at how fast technology is moving, we can be overwhelmed and wonder, can we ever catch up with it? But I think, like you mentioned, in 2020, we were forced to catch up with it. (laughs) And by and large, we were able to adjust and able to shift and able to experience out of that challenge came amazing opportunities for the gospel to go to places that it would not have gone to. And so I would be interested to hear, out of the shifts that we mentioned, looking at the report, 60% of the world's population is now on the internet. Out of that, 58% are on social media and the global average is just over two hours a day on social media. I mean, we can talk about that in many different ways. I would like to focus on what opportunities are there that are now presented to us to go to places that we have never been able to go to before as a local church. When we think about the idea of a digital space, right, I think more and more people are beginning to realize, and in fact, ministry leaders are acknowledging it acknowledging this fact that these are not just virtual spaces. They are in a sense that we're not physically together, but they are real people, right? And in in our ministry at Crew, we always have this phrase that's sort of a mental picture for us. We say behind Mm. every screen is a name. Behind that name is a person. And that person is greatly loved by God. So we're not just looking at screens or numbers, but these are actual people. So even when you you put up a YouTube video, let's say you get a few hundred views, every Mm -hmm. one of those numbers means something because somebody bought it to click it and watch it or listen to it. So when we begin to think like that, then you say, oh yeah, what then do we need to do to place meaningful next steps for them to take so that they can find what they need? So to your question of like, what other opportunities? I think if we begin to be creative and these digital spaces could be, let's say, uh, the gaming world, right? Lots of gamers on all kinds of different types of games from young little ones to older ones, right? Recently, I just met up with a lady that 
has, has her husband is actually an artist, meaning he paints hyper-realistic art. But they were just focusing on their art business and their art was actually quite unique space. And all of a sudden, the Lord just shifted them to say, hey, you need to pay attention to Minecraft. I remember she told a story and she's like, Minecraft? That's not even my world. I'm in the artistic world. <laughs> she's like, I got to pay attention to it because God is calling me. And even as she went in to discover that and then saw how many kids were in this space, she then discovered that I'm here because I'm bringing mm. the presence of God to this space. They went on to this to put on a program and they're still working towards the full outcomes of it, but it is going to be like a promised land for Minecraft. And they are already finding young kids asking spiritual questions. So it's just a snapshot of what is potential, what is possible in spaces like that when Christians with God's leading, with, with a clear vision, move in to say, can I bring the presence of God in this space? And you can move on to Fortnite, Roblox, you know, World of Warcraft, whatever you want, right? I love how you've reframed this idea of mission, not just mission being taking the gospel to other places, but now we have the unique opportunity as a generation to take the gospel to spaces, like you just mentioned with this lady taking it to Minecraft. Totally, exactly. The, the question we're looking at is what does ministry look like in a digital age? Could you try your hand at just trying to give an answer to that question? What is ministry in a digital age? To be candid with you, I really don't think there is a huge difference, whether in a digital age or in whatever age. I've already mentioned the idea that we want to go into bringing Jesus where he needs to go, right? Missions is about going where people are. In the digital spaces, is also learning uh, the digital language or this digital world that we live in understanding what is his uniqueness, his nuances, you, you know, special ways of communicating, and then pressing in to say, hey, how can I bring some form of value to them? So not every time people are ready to just hear, okay, this is the gospel, Jesus loves you, just come to him now, right? And that's not always on their mind. But if you come alongside them and say, hey, where are you in your spiritual journey? And you could be still unaware of him, but maybe you're a little curious. And what is one step towards the knowledge of Christ and having him into your hearts and living his mission? What does that look like for you? And what can I offer as a digital offering or a pathway that might propel you to the next step? In a broad sense, I think it, it's not that much different because we do that with friends. Not all the time we just go straight to them and say, I think you need Jesus, come receive him now, right? We hang out, we drink coffee, we talk about movies, or we just, you know, play badminton, whatever things that interest you. And then when, when the door opens up, there is a need. Can I pray for you? What is the next step you want to take? Or can I suggest this book for you to read? And then maybe, would you like to come to church? So there is a bit of a progression. And some of us were already doing it intuitively. But now in the digital age, we get the opportunity to do it a little bit different. We might post something. We might send somebody a podcast. We might invite them to check out this website. We might say, come to my, my church online. Just check it out. Listen to it. So there are a variety of ways that we can invite people to take one step. In fact, they're already doing it without telling you because they can search, right? And they can find things that they need. So hopefully, you know, they find the right stuff that helps them to a meaningful next step. I can imagine that there would be church pastors listening to this, missions organizational leaders listening to this, workplace people listening to this, asking the question, how can they begin to apply this new perspective to their own reality, to their own business, to their own mission? Mm. Do you have any examples of churches or ministries that have successfully pivoted to this new digital age? And what practical next steps could you suggest to those who are listening to say, okay, if you could do anything, do these three things. 
I would put it this way. I think digital resources and the pathways are integrating well with what you call a physical in-person experience, right? So this hybrid approach, there is the both the online and the in-person, you're going to expect this because that is your the behavior of your audience. I mean, you think about the way you purchase things or the way you look for a service. Right. It's almost, we don't think, uh, excuse me now, I'm going to step into the digital world now. And then, okay, I'm back. Nobody works like that, right? So that's what your users expect or your audience expects. Think if the church is going to be welcoming and ready to guide people on a journey, then our offerings need to be physical, in-person experiences because that's so precious but also there are digital experiences that invite people on the next step. Sometimes we are too rushed to say, oh, let's quickly just get them to come to church. But maybe that's not what they really want right now, but they don't mind listening to something you put up, right? As a way of feeding them or challenging their thinking. And why wouldn't you offer that to them? in that season. So that's one. Uh, I think there have been churches and ministries that are doing that well. And I don't think they they differentiate it or, you know, just this one or that one. And I think your second question about practical application. I would say that this word that I've used earlier, missional collaboration, is going to be your superpower. (laughs) It will be something that will help accelerate the body of Christ in the mission that God has called us to. So I know in maybe in decades past, we've talked a lot about partnerships. And it's not too different from that. But the word collaboration really drives at the fact that we care about something that we really want to see. I think most people can agree. We really want to bring Jesus to new people, places and spaces, right? But how do we get there? We realize that actually God has designed us to need one another. Well, some of us lament that it's like, oh, I wish I just can do it myself. But we thrive with the unique gifts and strengths that it is found in the global body of Christ. And then to unlock this true potential, we have to be very intentional to come together, to solve problems, to champion new and fresh approaches, uh, and then to pioneer into those gaps. You can call them the missional gaps because there there are serious opportunities that the body of Christ desperately have to work together to get to the mission that God has called us. And maybe just one last thing I'll say, and I sort of alluded to this, digital ministry, like any other ministry, it is incarnational. We bring the presence of Jesus with us wherever we go. So whether you have your Instagram account, whether you are a gamer on Minecraft, or some other spaces. Maybe you hang out with friends on the digital photography forum. You bring the presence of Christ. I think we start by asking God, you've placed me here. What is it that I can do to incarnate your presence, right? To bring your love, your grace to the people that I hang out with. It is that posture and it is so much less about technology, but so much more about the heart and the mission. As we think about the future, I think it's very hard to predict where technology is going. It seems like every day there's something new. But I would love to pick your brain just for a moment. As you think about the future, what roles do you envision digital media playing in evangelism, taking Jesus to different spaces that people find themselves in the digital space? I'll be honest, I'm not so much a futurist. I want to imagine to say that I can, you know, kind of look ahead. But I would bet that a lot of the stories that we tell, the content that we produce, especially those that exalt the heart and the love of Jesus, would continue to be a mainstay. We may have expressed it in the past through through writing, through storytelling, through filmmaking, through short videos, through memes, or whatever, right? So I think the idea of people being empowered now, no longer just Hollywood, no longer just those that have lots of money, but all of us now empowered to be able to create is going to be, it has already been, but is going to continue to be a mainstay. And then the church honestly has to press in with God's wisdom, God's discernment, and really bring 
good content to sow into this space, right? Because as we all know, there are plenty of not so good ones and trashy stuff, but we can bring all of this in. I think that is going to be part of our future. And then uh, this is a piece that we have to steward well. I don't know if I answered your question properly, but that's what came to my mind. <laughs> We're going to have to begin to wrap up this podcast, but before we do, could you give us just a sneak peek into any upcoming projects that's happening in Digitus that excites you, that you would like to share with us as a community? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the things I've been working on and with some of my teammates and network leaders around the world has been trying to encourage the community. So Indigenous is blessed to have people who volunteer their time all across the globe and they say, hey, I want to help lead a local chapter. And they say, I'm passionate about this. Some of the challenges we face is how do we keep making sure that they're fanning in the flame, right? Because it can get tiring, you know, leading in small groups. So that's one of those pieces that I've been working hard on. I think in the new year, we are planning to have a vision keepers kind of summit, likely to be virtual because budget is not permitting us to all come together. So that's one uh, that I can think of. The other one I briefly mentioned about HACK, the Global Missional Hackathon in 2024. We are praying towards what does that look like as we come alongside SO 2024 in L4, Lausanne 4, and the opportunities for the larger body of Christ to capture this picture. I think in Lausanne, you're calling it collaborative action teams. Actually, one of those things I see, some of those teams might get together with a local chapter of Indigenous somewhere in the world and say, I have this problem. Why don't we hack on it and come up with some beautiful, excellent, motivating, compelling challenges that actually will move the needle in accelerating the Great Commission? Simon, this has been such an enriching conversation. And I'm really trusting that for many of us who are listening, engaging in this conversation, that we will begin to reframe our ministries and our, even our lives to the new reality that we're in and asking the question, what does God have for me in this season of life, in this generation, in this time that God has placed me in? How can I do ministry in the digital age? And I really believe you've added value in, in terms of answering that question for us. I know that you mentioned it closer to the start of the interview, but for our audience who'd like to connect with you or find out more about Indigitus, where can they find you online? Well, you, for sure, you can follow me on Instagram at Simon Xiao Says, And I think I can also share my email address in the show notes. And that's one way you can reach out to me if you really want to explore and press in to discover what is the opportunity? And maybe you say, I want to champion something in my part of the world. Yeah, please feel free to reach out and ping me. Wonderful. I'll definitely make sure to put that in the show notes, Simon. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your insights with us as a community. Trust that everything that you dream for in, in, in Digitus and with Crew would come to light. And thank you for adding value to us. Truly appreciate it. Thanks. Really appreciate Jason for putting this together. Cheers. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lausanne Movement Podcast. If you liked today's episode, won't you take a moment to give us a rating and review? And don't forget to give us a shout out on social media. In the next episode, we're going to continue our exploration of shifts impacting global missions. Specifically, we'll be unpacking some of the challenges and opportunities before the global church connected to the major shifts in global demographics. Until next week, cheers. Cheers.